0: That's who Jay-Z has done this deal with. And both Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey put out statements on Twitter. This is an excerpt from one of Jack's statements, which reads, quote, Why would a music streaming company and a financial services company join forces? It comes down to a simple idea, finding new ways for artists to support their work. New ideas are found at intersections, and we believe there is a compelling one between music and music and the economy. What's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 176 of the podcast. And in this episode, I speak about my new podcast logo, which you all should be seeing right now via whatever platform you're listening to this on. And in another segment of goats doing goat shit, I speak about Jay-Z's recent business moves. I also speak about UFC 259 and the stacked three championship bouts at the top of that card. And finally... I speak about watching Coming to the number 2, America, which is the sequel to Coming to America. And that's for those of you that may or may not live underneath the sludge that is underneath a rock. Stick around for all that good stuff. In the meantime, and before we get into it, here is a quick way that you can help support this show. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Spun Today, on both those platforms, check out and like the Spun Today Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spuntoday. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube page. Just search for Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There, you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips and much, much more. The new Spun Today podcast logo, which, again, is the logo that you guys should be seeing right now via whichever podcatcher you're listening to this on. And for you Spun Today history buffs, which I'm sure there are none, <laughs> this is the third iteration of the Spun Today podcast logo. The first one I did myself, not knowing what the hell I was doing back in like 2014 when I uh, like started the Spun Today website. Using Squarespace, they give you the option, uh, the free option to create your own like design logo and stuff like that. And it was a very simple design where I incorporated the infinity symbol, which I've always been like partial to. It's like the number eight on its side and eight is my favorite number. And I like the, the concept of infinity, you know, something that's forever and ongoing in perpetuity and ever-evolving, and the world keeps turning, keeps spinning, spun today, get it? Um, it's the infinity symbol made out of arrows, which I, I've always uh, liked as well. Not sure why for that one. And then just simply said, spun today, uh, through the middle. Then a couple years into it uh, of using that logo, a buddy of mine reached out to me and told me that he was getting into graphic design, and if I wouldn't mind him trying to like upgrade my my logo, it would be free and it would help him out. And, you know, adding to his portfolio of work. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. If I like it and it helps you out, you know, a win-win. Shout out to Peter Cepeda. I've credited him in previous episodes from the point where I started using the logo that he designed to up to this episode, which I'm moving forward with a different logo. Um, But his website is linked in my episode notes. I'm not positive if he's still doing the graphic design thing, but uh, definitely check him out. And he designed... You know a couple of iterations uh, of the logo that's like what I definitely wanted in it like the arrows and stuff like that and I, I liked it and obviously used that for many years and for this third iteration of the logo I went the route of using 99designs which is the same service that I used for designing the cover art of my novel fractal Folks can check that out at spun forward slash books forward slash fractal. And it is a paid service and there's different like tiers. Um, I'll, I'll link to their website in the episode notes. You guys can go check it out. And you know, they do all types of different designs, whether it's for cover art, if it's a logo for a business, if it's just a logo, if it's a podcast logo, if it's some sort of like merch you're, you're creating. And what I like most about it is that for someone like me that, knows kind of sort of what he wants but not how to put someone who does not have the skills to put that design to paper themselves the service is such that you pretty much write down what you're looking for you know uh, what category and stuff like that and then you could just write out elements of what you like so i included things like stars and writing and the infinity symbol obviously the name of the show uh podcasting interviews movies tv shows like, you know, things that I cover on the show. You can also submit images that you like. Like, for example, when I was doing the cover design for Fractal, I included other book covers of books that I liked. That, you know, I kind of like the look of this, but I also like the look of that. And here's like this weird little triangle image that I found online that is in physics known as an Octonian or something like that. And there was like some random article that I read once where scientists thought the Actonian could lead to the discovery of the meaning of life or some like weird, esoteric shit like that. But I just like the way that triangle looked then kind of fell within the realm of like the theme of the book and time travel and stuff like that. But anyway, so you can just throw in random things like that and say, here designers, here are all of my inputs, spit out what your creative designer brain interprets to all this, stuff as and then a bunch of different graphic designers work on designs and you get dozens and dozens of different designs you know it's their versions of like different ideas and then when you see something like oh shit i like that oh damn but i like what this person did with like the lettering here and but that person i like what they did with with you know such and such and then you just write each person back and say hey listen look at design number three that so-and-so did and you know try to incorporate that into yours and you know you work with them and you do that over several days. And some people are obviously like more responsive than others. They'll respond to you right away. And, you know, people work in different time zones. But the service gives you ample time to work with folks. Then after, you know, they send you mad different iterations of, of like the logo, for example. And you keep fine-tuning, keep tweaking. It's You get like upwards of like 40 designs and a bunch of different designers working on this. And then you narrow it down to six finalists which are essentially the, design, the six designers that you want to work with. So the six best designs or uh, the designers that you felt are getting like the vision and, you know, giving you their ideas, which you like, you know, you pick those six and then you move forward to phase two, with, which is more of the same, but narrowing it down to just those six designers. And you go through another couple of days of, I think it's like three days for the second round of fine tuning with those six designers and then you elect a winner and then once you select uh the winner the finalist the service sets up all the like uh copyright agreements and and rights to the to the image and stuff like that which you as the purchaser you have 100 rights to it so now with like this logo you know you can you know put it on your website on a book on merch t-shirts whatever you get you know you tell them what dimensions you want it in so for like podcasts, for example, it's minimum of 1,600 by 1,600 pixels, maximum of 3,000 by 3,000 pixels in terms of quality and size. That's what all the major podcasters like iTunes, Spotify, etc. Uh, will accept. So you give them those requirements. I asked for like a bunch of different colors as well, like background colors. Like the one I'm moving forward with now is the gray background with the black lettering, but I also got it in with like white lettering and black background, Red background, and white lettering. White background, black lettering, etc. And I got the uh, transparent uh, PNG versions, both in black and white lettering, so it's easy to put on, uh, again, like merch and stuff like that, which will be coming soon. Stay, stay tuned. And then once you, you know, agree to award the contest winner and you agree to the terms of again you retaining 100% ownership of the the new design, the new logo. Then you just literally download a zip file with all your images and you're good to go. I heard about 99designs originally. I, I heard about it on, on podcasts. Um, I believe originally on Tim Ferriss' podcast. Tim Ferriss used it for his four-hour work week, New York Times best-selling sell, book. If you use promo code, by the way, if you go to 99designs and use promo code Tim or promo code Ferris, one of the two, I forget which, I used it for for this for this one and for my my novel as well. you get a like a bump up in tier uh worth a hundred bucks, which is great. you get like more designs and access to like higher level graphic designers and stuff like that and I used the service for like i said my my first novel, and I was just more than happy it exceeded my expectations and same thing uh this time around for the new podcast logo so I definitely recommend it to you folks ninety nine designs feel free to hit me up after this great free ad for you guys, if you want to sponsor this show. (laughs) But yeah. So back to the actual design. So I have incorporated within it, the infinity symbol is worked into the lettering from spun today. So the N turns into like an infinity symbol. You have the element of the stars uh, up on top, kind of like a shooting star, you know, just representing my interest in like space and things like that, as well as, you know, quote unquote shooting for the stars and, Going for Your Goals and Dreams. It has a microphone, which is representative of, obviously, podcasting, recording, a book, and hand uh, writing symbols at the bottom, at the anchor of the logo, since this podcast is anchored in writing. It has one of those little Hollywood clapper things over to the left next to the T, which is representative of my movie and TV show reviews. And it also shows two folks uh, sitting down having a conversation which is representative of the interview conversation episodes that I do as well, so there's a lot in it, but it also looks to me simplistic in design, which is what I was going for. but there's a lot within the details to me it says it says a lot. and I'll probably play around in the future with different with the different colors that I have, and again, you guys can go check it out obviously you you're seeing most likely the gray background with the black lettering that I rolled out for this episode. But uh, check out my Instagram or my Twitter, at SpunToday, and I'll be posting the like different color schemes and stuff like that, and let me know what you guys think. Shout out to Naveen Danilak, which was the designer that I chose to go with for this. His website is linked in the episode notes of this episode and all future episodes while I use this design. And as stated, stay tuned for some new merch incorporating this design coming soon. Goats doing goat shit. In this segment of the show, fairly new segment of the show, I'd like to highlight just that. Goats doing goat shit. And this week I'm featuring Jay-Z, not once, but twice. And here's why. In 2006, in 2006 Jay-Z purchased 50% of a champagne company named Armand de Brignac, a.k.a. Ace of Spades. Then a few years later, in 2014... He bought out his partners for the other 50% and became the 100% owner of this company. I couldn't find exact figures for his total investment in Armand de Brignac, but what I could find is around the $50 million mark. So that includes, I believe, his investment in 2006, as well as the rest of the buyout in 2014. So all in, he's $50 million in. Now, he just sold... 50% of his company, Armand de Brignac, for over $300 million. Analysts estimate that he's pocketing at least $315 million from this deal. And he sold it to not the whole company, half, 50% of it, which is important. Keep that in mind. He sold it to LVMH, which for those of you that don't know, LVMH is the parent company of many luxury brands. They have... Dozens and dozens of luxury brands. So under the LVMH umbrella, you have brands like Hennessy, Moet. Within the spirits space, within the leather goods space, you have companies like Louis Vuitton. Within the jewelry space, you have companies like Tag Heuer, Hublot, Tiffany & Co. Fucking Tiffany & Co., the company, is under LVMH. Which LVMH, by the way, just purchased last year for $15.8 billion. With a B, dollars. So these are the folks that are now 50-50 partners with Jay-Z in his Armand de Brignac, a.k.a. Ace of Spades company. That's why I said keep in mind that 50-50 partnership, that 50% sale, because it's not like a, you know, sold, cash out and bounced type of situation. He's in business now with this powerhouse. How dope of a come up is that? How great and inspirational of a position is that to be in? Inspiring, rather. And here's my favorite part about the story. The thought process behind going all in in this company, Armand de Brignac, came after, if you guys remember, Cristal was a very popular champagne within like the hip-hop community, with Jay-Z in particular. Back in that time, the CEO of Cristal, the champagne, Frederic Rosaud, was quoted saying, quote, what can we do? We can't forbid people from buying it, end quote. And that was in response to being asked about the brand's popularity among rappers at the time. So instead of appreciating and maybe not even appreciating, but understanding that the product that you sell, because that's what you're doing, you're selling a product for money, has gained X amount in popularity that has translated into X amount of green dollars, why would you make such a tone-deaf statement like that but whatever i like when racist fucks can't help themselves and get in their own way he must feel like the big fucking dick that he is unless unless those tiki torch whites started buying mad crystal after the statement (laughs) which i doubt but anyway after that uh jay-z took it upon himself to he like shunned cristal in a music video of his after like being the uh you know a big force in popular popularizing it i believe it's the show me what you got music video where he like shuns the bottle you know the waiter bringing a bottle of cristal over and then welcomes a bottle of ace of spades h-o-v-a hey. Fool with these other guys they All, all these dudes know how to say is, Give me. Which in turn leads to a 315 million dollar windfall along with a 50 percent partnership in a luxury brand Powerhouse, which I'm sure will be orders of magnitude even more profitable and important. And that to me is dope visionary shit right there. Sprinkled with some vindictive uh, pettiness as well, which is always good to see work out. In such a way where those that reap what they sow get what they had coming to them. And that's Jay-Z in Goats Doing Goat Shit. In this next clip of Goats Doing Goat Shit, we're featuring Jay-Z yet again. Back in 2015, just six short years ago, Jay-Z purchased a Norwegian subscription-based music, podcast, and video streaming service known as Aspiro for $56 million dollars. He stylized this service as Tidal, which is the streaming platform that we know today. The obvious behemoths in this space are Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. From a techie audio perspective, it's supposed to provide lossless audio as well as high definition videos. Better than that, in my opinion, is that it offers a better royalty split for artists. And also important to note is that he, when he bought the company in 2015, it was in partnership with a few other artists, such as Kanye, Rihanna, Coldplay, Madonna, Alicia Keys, and his wife, Beyoncé. He sold his majority stake in title to Square, keep that in mind, that's important, for $297 million. And his partners in the original purchase are still staying on as the second largest shareholder. So he parlayed whatever his portion of that $56 million was into a $297 million sale. Now, who he sold it to is key. Because remember, as I spoke about in previous episodes, in terms of ownership and not selling your IP and stuff like that, the upfront money that people normally focus on, although, you know, great, you know, it's in and of itself, it's a it's a huge accomplishment. It's not the main thing going on unless you let it be the main thing going on going on and then that's on you. But this is why I believe Square's key. Square, which was a company that was founded in two thousand nine, offers the financial tools for small businesses and artists to explore different options in terms of receiving digital payments. So for example, you know, a lot of restaurants use it. A bunch of restaurants buy me when they come deliver uh they no longer take card over, you know a debit card or credit card over the phone when the person comes you know that white little square that they have connected to either like a little tablet or or a cell phone that is what the square service is not just the user-friendliness and ability to have small businesses like restaurants like food vendors in the street like somebody selling art or music in the street to be able to not have to accept cash They now have the option with this little Square thing to accept payment via what most folks carry around, which is debit cards and credit cards. You see this with food trucks all the time, even at dry cleaners, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not only that, it's the infrastructure behind that, the ability to actually receive and transfer those funds. Now, digging a little deeper, the co-founder and CEO of Square, which is also the chairman of the board of Square is Jack Dorsey, who, as you all may know, is also the co-founder and CEO of Twitter, literally the number one or two largest social media platform on the planet. That's who Jay-Z has done this deal with. And both Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey put out statements on Twitter. This is an excerpt from one of Jack's statements, which reads, quote, Why would a music streaming company and a financial services company join forces? It comes down to a simple idea, finding new ways for artists to support their work. New ideas are found at intersections. And we believe there is a compelling one between music and the economy. And I love hearing stuff like that. I love that, you know, Tidal was a streaming service that was more so in favor of artists in terms of of royalty splits than other streaming services. And that they're teaming up with power players like a Jack Dorsey that also share in that vision. And to me, it's artists, creators. Those are the winners of this type of situation. You know, and you see this this movement toward favoring creatives and artists, whether it be writers, podcasters, musicians. And you see what services and the popularity behind services like Patreon, which gives fans the ability to support artists directly. Patreon.com forward slash spun today. And other, you know, even companies like uh, YouTube, which is a subsidiary of, of Google or technically the parent company name is Alphabet, but uh, YouTube adding the payment button option within videos where you can directly support the creator of a, vid- of a video if you so choose. Cash app, et cetera. This is more steps in that direction, in that general direction. And to me, that's a good thing. To me, that's a win. When you have folks that are in a position of a Jack Dorsey, literally the CEO, chairman of the board of Square, CEO of Twitter, one of the largest platforms on the planet that has the ability of directing culture, and a Jay-Z, and folks that are operating on a level where they can just adopt the status quo, fuck the little guy, let's not make things better for artists, let's continue this business mindset culture of raping the artists, keeping their masters and owning their IP in perpetuity. They don't know what they're looking at anyway. And having these folks in positions that don't have to, but are beginning to change that narrative. And the most important piece to me in this transaction is not the $297 million, although obviously that's great. That's amazing from a less than $56 million investment six years ago. It's the fact that he negotiated a board seat, for himself within Square. So he will be amongst the board of directors of the financial services company, Square. And as a board member, you are literally one of, in the case of Square, 12 people that are making all of the high level decisions for a company. And these are all power player folks. You know, when people speak about like, let's say the diversity of a company and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, but all the people at the top are still white. For example, these are the people at the top that they're referring to, the board of directors, the CEOs, the C-suite folks, and Jay-Z, you know, breaking that mold and, you know, making strides, even though it's, you know, within one company, but still making strides in that direction is huge. It's literally one of the most important things of this entire deal, in my opinion. You know, board of directors, they meet, you know, depending on the company, eight to 10 times a year. Um, They also have subsets of the the board of directors that break off into uh, committees like the audit committee, which handles like how much is the CEO going to get paid? How much is the compensation for the directors and employees and benefits and all this type of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. It's like structures that publicly traded companies have and a lot of private companies as well. But just to give you an idea of who these folks are. And again, everything that I've spoken about, as usual, is within the episode notes. So if you guys want to do some of your own investigating or whatever, you know, obviously use Google, but I made it simple for you. You can look at my episode notes. So the board directors of Square, I'm going to tell you who the folks are and board members have other positions besides being board members. A lot of board members are usually members of many other companies' boards or a few other companies' boards. And just for being board members, by the way, they do get paid. According to Square's uh, 2020 proxy statement, which is mandated by the SEC to be put out as public record, they're averaging between 250 and 300 thousand dollars a year, as well in cash, as well as another about 250 thousand dollars worth of stock options or equity compensation. But this is who these folks are that Jay Z is now going to be in the room with. Which again, he could have said, "Oh, 290, 297 million. Cool, I'm good with that. I'm out." But no, he negotiated, my guess is, less money to make sure that this board seat is incorporated. So these are the folks. Jack Dorsey, which I spoke about, CEO and chairman of the board of Square, and also the CEO of Twitter. Roloff Botha is a partner at Sequoia Capital, and he was the CFO of PayPal. Amy Brooks is the chief innovation officer of the NBA. Paul Dayton is the former UK commercial secretary to the Treasury, as well as the CEO of the London organizing committee for the Olympic Games, and he's a partner at Goldman Sachs. Randy Garudi is the CEO of Shake Shack. Jim McKelvey is not Charlemagne the God's brother. He's a lot whiter. <laughs> that is Charlemagne's last name, Randy McKelvey, I think, something like that. Anyway, Jim McKelvey is the co-founder of Square. And he also co-founded LaunchCode, which is a nonprofit that helps talented coders get their first jobs at top companies. Again, I'm reading off the fellow board members that Jay-Z is going to be in the room with. And there's five more left. Next up is Mary Meeker. She's a general partner at Bond, and she was the managing director and a research analyst at Morgan Stanley. Anna Patterson is the founder and managing partner at Google's Gradient Ventures and a vice president of engineering at Google. Larry Summers is also on the board, and he is the former secretary of the United States Department of Treasury. David Viniar is the former CFO of Goldman Sachs, and is currently also on the board of directors of Goldman Sachs. And lastly, we have Darren Walker, which is the president of the Ford Foundation. He also serves on the boards of Carnegie Hall, the High Line, Committee to Protect Journalists, National Gallery of Art and the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture. That to me is the most important piece of this particular deal that Jay-Z did, being in the room with those folks. And to me, the arc of Jay-Z's life is so inspiring and amazing if you think about it, which he and it's a life that he's chronicled through his music, right? Which is why I'm always like excited to see and listen to like the level that he's on. Even you know, at this age, cause he's still one of the best to ever do it. And he's gone from telling us about like the dirt he did on the street, from selling drugs in in, in Brooklyn, growing up in Marcy Projects, to coming out of that to hustle music. From Put this shit in ain't no me back, could make forty bricks, but one rhyme could beat that. To investing in real estate in areas and focusing on areas that are being gentrified, like Dumbo in Brooklyn, for example. I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it was Dumbo for like two million That same building today is worth 25 million. Guess how I'm feeling Dumbo And he drops this information like gems throughout his music and things like investing in art because of its crazy appreciation capacity. I bought some artwork for one million. Two years later that shit worth two million. Two years later that shit worth 8 million. I can't wait to hear more about the gems that he drops related to the latest barriers and doors that he's broken down so far this year through the art form that he's most expressive through, which is hip-hop. Now, what I want to keep my eyes on, and I'll say this in closing, is his next moves after this to see what his exposure within the financial space does. I want to see how that comes to fruition because he recently invested in a company called Perch that has the Perch credit app and it aims at boosting the credit scores of mostly black and brown people and f- other folks in underserving communities. It's a service that was founded by Michael Broughton and a Yush Jane, which allows users to log their recurring payments such as subscriptions or or the rent that they pay as a form of credit history to improve their credit scores. And these aren't traditional things that are factored in to a person's credit score. But essentially, they are the same thing. They are payments that are due on a recurring basis, like a mortgage, like a car note, like a credit card that folks are paying but not getting credit for. You want to know what's more important than throwing away money at a strip club? Credit, Credit. And it's kind of mitigating that barrier of entry to being able to get your credit score up so you can apply for small business loans and get more favorable terms like a mortgage, like a car note, like a credit card. And through another project of his known as Marcy Venture Projects MVP, which Jay-Z co-founded, he's allowing Perch full access to free financial literacy and credit building content. So I'm interested to see how and if he leverages the relationships and knowledge from being a board of director on Square to this other effort of having folks in underprivileged, underserved areas having the ability to better their credit and improving their financial situations. Y'all think it's bougie, I'm like it's fine, but I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for nine ninety nine. And that's Jay Z in GOATs doing goat shit. UFC two fifty nine took place on March sixth, twenty twenty one. And we had three dope title fights at the top of the card. We had Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling for the bantamweight title. We had Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson for the women's featherweight title. And we had Jan Blachowicz—I can never say his name right Blachowitz, against Israel Stylebender Adesanya for the light heavyweight title bout. All right, so Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. Spoiler alert: It ended in a disheartening way. But to start off, odds-wise, it was dead even. And I believe the general consensus was that, you know, standing up, Peter Yan had the upper hand, and on the ground, Aljamain Sterling would have the upper hand there. Peter Jan was getting the better of Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion, because he was taking him down seemingly at will. And also, he was connecting a lot more efficiently. He had less of an output, but at a higher percentage in terms of his striking. But it was definitely not a one-sided fight because Al was landing more, but that was as a result of having higher output. So in terms of percentage and efficiency, his was a bit less. He did fail to take down uh, Peter Jan as much. I believe he only had like one successful takedown versus Peter Jan's seven, I believe was the official count. Then in the fourth round, Peter Jan illegally need Al in the head while he was down. So Aljamain was considered a downed op- opponent because his knees and I believe one hand was down and Peter Jan need him in the head, which is considered an illegal move in that in that uh, position. Which sucks because Peter Jan, you know, he was seemingly winning or on his way to, to winning the bout. And because of that move, he was disqualified. Then it sucks on the other end for Aljamain because... Who wants to win like that and it sucks for the fans obviously because we get cheated out of seeing the fight go to fruition and it's just like dissatisfying all around and what's even worse is that peter yan was supposedly asking his corner in russian if he can hit him or if he's downed and there was like a miscommunication i believe one of his corner men said yes and the other one said no and that miscommunication led to the illegal knee so just fucking sucked all around but because of that disqualification, Aljamain Sterling is now the bantamweight title champion. So, congrats to him. Even though it's obviously like bittersweet, he himself like took the belt off when they gave it to him and threw it on the floor, like he he wasn't happy about it. But you could see he was like completely dazed and couldn't even like sit or walk straight. Then next up, we had Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson for the featherweight title bout. And every time you have a goat like Amanda Nunes that's fighting. You always wonder is this going to be like the one when she loses? Not that she's undefeated, but since she lost many years ago, I believe once or twice, and I was speaking with my boy, my brother's best friend, Omar, shout out to Omar, about the fact that Amanda also has a new baby at home. That was kind of like, you know, is she going to be softer now because she has a kid? And that can go one of two ways, right? You can go that route of getting softer and, you know, now it's like family mode type of thing. Or it can be fuel and motivation to, you know, double down on whatever it is that you're doing. That doubled with the fact that Megan is like a lot taller and she's like big and strong. And those are usually advantages that Amanda has versus her opponents, right? She's usually like the bigger fighter. But literally two minutes into the first round, after Megan Anderson landed two hits, which was one kick to the body and one kick to the leg, Amanda landed three leg kicks and 15 headshots. Had Megan dazed and submitted her fairly quickly. Again, the bout ended two minutes and three seconds into the first round. Amanda Nunes is just truly the GOAT. It's like, I don't even know who she would fight next. They say maybe Shevchenko. Because she gave her like the most competition, but she already fought her twice, I believe. And she did give her the most competition and then the second time gave her more competition than the first time. So maybe I tweeted out and my recommendation would be that she just starts fighting dudes (laughs) because she has like no competition. Not yet anyway. So hats off to Amanda Nunes, the champ champ. And last but not least, at the top, we had Jean Blackovich. I fucked that up again. Versus Israel, Stylebender, Adesanya. Now, Stylebender is the champ at middleweight, and he's moving up to face Jean, which is the light heavyweight champion. And you always root for, or at least I do, like someone moving up in weight and taking on like such a, a significant uh, challenge. And someone just attempting to become a champ champ, there's not many of them. I think there's like three or four, including Amanda Nunes, which I just mentioned, ever in the UFC history. Stalbender, I'm just a big fan of, you know, I've spoken about him in the past on on the show. And he's an up-and-coming, not even up-and-coming anymore. He's a UFC star. So it was, like, dope to see. Obviously, you want the storybook ending for the person that you're rooting for that, you know, goes up in weight and wins and becomes a champ-champ, etc. But that did not happen this time around. Stalbender was out-wrestled, I would say. You know, Jean is, you know, a lot bigger and was able to... For a lot of the fourth round, the majority of the fifth, just like take him down, hold him down, and not let Izzy like get his shit off. But while they were standing, he definitely held his own. You know, he didn't get like knocked out or anything. And Izzy Stylebender is known as like one of the best strikers within the UFC. So we definitely saw that. But alas, with the uh, with the takedowns and getting out wrestled, etc., he lost in a unanimous decision. What's well, cool to see though after the fact is, you know, just as gracious as John was in winning, Izzy was also like gracious in defeat. And with more of a you know, I'm gonna go back to middleweight, continue dom dominating that division and you know, get better, come back, try again, and go back to the drawing board, et cetera. As opposed to, you know, like making excuses and having like a defeatist type attitude, et cetera. So that was pretty dope to see. And that's what I got for you folks for UFC 259. Coming to America. Coming with the number two America is the sequel to the original 1988 film coming to America, starring Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. And the story, which was created by Eddie Murphy. The synopsis of the sequel is that the African monarch, Akeem, learns he has a long lost son in the United States and must return to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship with his son. Let me give a shout-out to the writers. Eddie Murphy, as I stated earlier, came up with the story, and the characters are based on characters which he created. The story for the sequel was further fleshed out by Barry Blostein, David Sheffield, and Justin Canoe. David Sheffield and Barry Blostein were the... Screenplay writers of the original coming to America the screenplay this time around was written by them two again Barry Blostein and David Sheffield as well as Kenya Barris so shout out to those folks that put pen to paper and Brought what we see on our screens to fruition now just a little history on how this sequel came to fruition Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall Didn't want to do a sequel ever They said, you know, this is a classic, which most of us would agree with, that, you know, shouldn't be touched or played with anymore. Like, it's a dope, standalone, classic movie. But being that it's such a classic, you know, folks were pitching them ideas throughout the years for sequels, and Eddie Murphy never, like, gravitated towards any of them. And then with recent movies that were heavy uh, CGI, like uh, Arsenio, Arsenio Hall saw... Uh, Gemini Man and Eddie Murphy saw some Schwarzenegger movie I forget which one where CGI was used to make the actors look younger they thought that it would be the perfect opportunity to use that angle and you know technology with CGI where it's at today to make a sequel make sense by shooting some additional scenes to the first movie which we never saw like what else happened that night that they went out to the club and met like a bunch of like women and stuff like that because of that they were able to show some additional scenes which were hilarious where eddie murphy winds up going home or senior winds up hooking up eddie murphy with leslie jones and she's like down off rip to like yeah I'll fuck you boy don't worry let me go let me go throw up in the bathroom and then i'll be back and we'll go do the damn thing <laughs> and um long story short they wound up going to to her apartment and she smokes weed and gives Eddie some, which he never had before. And, you know, he's retelling the story and he's telling it like from a standpoint of hallucinating. He was like, yeah. And then, you know, we just went to her to her apartment and then uh, a, a wild boar burst in and jumped on top of me and was trying to like ravage me and eat me, stuff like that. But it flashes back to the actual scene again, using the CGI technology and stuff like that. And it's actually Leslie Jones just, like, smoking weed and then on top of him and, like, riding him and shit. So, that happened. Next morning, he wakes up, doesn't remember anything because he was drugged or whatever. And that's how he wound up getting Leslie Jones' character pregnant, not knowing about it. And then, you know, the rest of the movie plays out. And Eddie really liked that idea for the movie. And he actually wanted Tracy Morgan to play his son because he thinks, really Tracy Morgan's really funny. But Arsenio talked him out of that, and he was like, what are you, crazy? You guys look like you're the same age. <laughs> you can't play your son, which is why Tracy Morgan is in the movie, but he plays the uncle of Eddie Murphy's son, so Leslie Jones' brother, and he's hilarious in the movie. I really like the parallels that they drew between the first movie and the second, like certain themes like the father figure having to get over being set in their ways. Like, for example, in the first movie, James Earl Jones, with letting his son be Marry someone out of love versus the traditional arranged marriage. And then the parallel to the second movie was Eddie Murphy looking past his daughter as being the eventual ruler of Zamunda, becoming the queen of Zamunda because he had three daughters and he didn't have a, a son that was the heir to the throne. But traditionally, he was a male that was the ruler. So he was looking past the idea of his daughter becoming the ruler and was going to allow the person that was going to be arranged as her husband and you know their arranged marriage that that person would become the king and the heir uh, of zamunda so he had to get over like that tradition as well which thankfully he does by the end of the movie spoiler alert but it's why he went to the lengths of oh i i I do have a a male heir let me go find him and bring him so he can be the king and be the heir to the throne there's another parallel with the love story itself with the son defying his father's wishes and becoming his own man. So Eddie Murphy's son, Lavelle Johnson, played by Jermaine Fowler, didn't connect with the woman that they were going to arrange for to be his wife. And he fell in love with the girl that had a salon and was like putting him on to, you know, how things work and stuff like that. Which again was similar to the first movie, obviously when Eddie Murphy didn't want to marry the person that his father had arranged for him, and he went to America to eventually meet and marry Lisa. Another, not exactly a parallel, but like an homage that I liked was uh, to the Dukes, the two Dukes from uh, Trading Places, Mortimer and Randolph. And Eddie's son, Lavelle, was interviewing for a job with the grandson of the Dukes. And what I liked is that they, they touched on like um, a few like social commentary type things throughout the movie, and this was one of them. And it wasn't like heavy-handed, but I like that they touched on it. During that interview process, they spoke about, they, or they touched on rather, like race relations and the inequities within the workforce, as well as like nepotism. Some more social commentary was how they spoke about leaders and people in power, or as they're going into power, promising a lot of change and, and difference. But eventually, things wind up staying the same. And they spoke more to that. As, you know, that underlying theme of Eddie Murphy becoming more like his father and, you know, women still not having the right to own businesses in Zamunda. And like the thought of letting his daughter become the heir, like didn't really cross his mind. And then like backwards traditional thinking, even though going in, it was like a a breath of fresh air and a break from tradition. And Eddie Murphy got to marry the woman that he loved instead. And, you know, things are going to be a lot different now. I also love that everybody was in it except for a couple people. Like, for example, the actress that played a alien, <laughs> Um, Miss Madge Sinclair. She actually passed away in like the 1990s, I believe. Um, so she obviously wasn't in it. And I also didn't see Lisa's sister, like the one that liked Eddie Murphy from the first movie. I don't think she was in it. I mean, I definitely want to rewatch it, but I don't think she was in it. But besides that, everyone was in it like uh the actress that played one of the flower girls uh, and she's a fancy from the jamie Foxx show she's in it oha's in it she's your queen to be the elephant babar he's in it he's all grown up it's a big ass elephant now (laughs) um louie anderson is in it the sexual chocolate group is in it the preacher the barbers of the mighty sharp barbershop which I didn't get until I saw this movie (laughs) actually I was always like what is that mighty like what what does that mean and it's like mighty sharp they were all in it and hilarious like always what I didn't like which would have been fucking like a dope little cherry on top to see um, was that Cuba Gooding wasn't in the barber chair as he was in the first movie he was just like getting a haircut Um, it would have been cool to see Cuba Gooding Jr. there uh, Eddie Murphy's daughter in real life, she's in it. She's like the middle. She plays the middle daughter, Bella Murphy. Shout out Hollywood nepotism. Um, you know, Cleo McDowell is in it. And he's up to his, you know, trademark infringing shenanigans as usual. And he opened up a, a branch of McDowell's in Zamunda. And he put out things like the McFlurby instead of the McFlurry. But the difference is that his toppings are on the bottom instead of on the top. <laughs> and um they made fun of also like the whole no meat movement thing and they put out a a quote-unquote burger that's just lettuce so it's like a bun with lettuce that was pretty funny but yeah yo it was it was a funny movie it was an entertaining watch uh, a lot of pe- a lot of people say you know don't you know make sequels to classics and or redo movies and stuff like that and and i get that sentiment with certain things but also it's like if this one was bad, which it wasn't to me, like, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch it again. Like, the, to me, it doesn't take away from the first movie. The first movie is and will forever be cemented as a classic. And this one coming out good and enjoyable and watchable and, you know, checking off the nostalgia box and how they were able to, from a crea- creativity standpoint, you know, using CGI and modern technology, add scenes to the first movie. Like, that was dope to me. That's fun. That's cool. That's enjoyable. So it was a definite win, in my opinion. That's all I got for you, folks. That is coming to America, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime, which is another dope thing of, you know, even though I love the movies and movie theaters and I hope they don't go away, but to have a movie of this stature, of this level, come out on a streaming service that, you know, during the pandemic, during COVID, we can all enjoy. And help take our minds off of like all the craziness from the election and and divisiveness and stuff like that. It's, it's dope. I'm really glad that they did this. Coming to America. Check it out. And that's all I got for you folks for episode 176 of the Sponsored podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. I really appreciate you all listening. Please stick around and listen to a few ways you can help support this show and try doing one or two of them whether it's following me on Instagram or Twitter at Spunt Today, checking out some merch at spunttoday.com forward slash support, or one of the many other ways that I'll put you on to now. Hey folks, Tony here. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor, rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to help out the show in other ways, I'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts to do so. Go to sponsorate.com forward slash support. That's where you'll find a ton of different ways to help support this show, such as shopping on Amazon. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon, where you can do your shopping like you normally do, It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you're going to find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody super soft premium cotton t-shirt. You'll also find the legendary Spun Today Podcast tee, which is in the style of the New York City plastic thank you bags logo. For my fellow Dominicans out there, I have a dope Dominican Escudo t-shirt. You know where the Lacoste or Polo shirts have their little logo? Picture that. But instead, a Dominican Escudo. All available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long-sleeve t-shirts, short-sleeve t-shirts, color-changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at spuntoday.com forward slash support. All of my short stories can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. The free writing pieces that I read, share, and review during the free writing session episodes of this show can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash There you can read all the pieces that made the podcast as well as tons and tons of others. My books are available in any digital format of your choice, whether it's Kindle, Apple's iBooks, Kobo, you name it. They're also available in paperback. You can check them out at spuntoday.com forward slash books. My debut novel, Fractal, is a sci-fi time travel story of a group of righteous travelers that attempt to right the wrongs of the injustices of the past. My nonfiction, Make Way For You, is a collection of tips for getting out of your own way. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, and a good old-fashioned kick in the ass, that'll be the read for you. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books or search for those titles on Amazon. Another great and free way that you can help support this show is by subscribing to my newsletter. By going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, you'll get a photo, podcast, video, quote, and word of the week every single Monday at noon. What else do you have to look forward to on a Monday? Plus, you'll be the first to know whenever I publish a new book. And if for whatever reason you choose to, you can unsubscribe at any time. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon, Ko-fi, and PayPal donation pages. Patreon and Ko-fi allow you to make recurring donations per episode, and you even get some bonus content for doing so. PayPal allows you to make a one-time donation to the show. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five question Spun Today questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spun Today community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spuntoday on both those platforms. Check out and like the Spuntoday Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Spuntoday. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spuntoday YouTube page. Just search for Spuntoday on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips, and much, much more. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.